0: Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm honored to have as my conversation partner today, Dr. Terry Jelsma. If you've been a frequent listener of the show, you might remember Terry from episode 49, where he talked about a really significant loss in his life, and if you haven't, that episode yet, I strongly encourage you to circle back to it. Uh, Terry, how did you initially get involved in veterinary science? What was the hook there?
1: Well, that was that's actually interesting because my eldest brother is a human doctor who is very gifted. He is a high-risk pregnancy uh, specialist, and he has a photographic memory, and he, he does phenomenal work. And so I went to medical school with him as a youngling, you might say, as uh, still in high school while he was in medical school and, and was enthralled with that whole process and with medicine. However, I didn't ever want to be, I uh, say his shadow because I didn't want to be the dumb Dr. Chelsma. So, you know, I grew up across from a dairy farm, worked on a dairy farm and the dairy veterinarian at that farm uh, became my mentor, took me under his wing and Actually, to this day, he's now retired and we still get together. He's still mentoring me. And so it's a beautiful relationship. It was sort of, I believe, ordained, but yeah, just a different life path. Got interested in medicine through my brother, but um, veterinary medicine was, was where I've been led. Terry, did did your family have pets growing up? Always had pets growing up. Yeah. Had dogs and cats, but again, grew up on the farm. They were, that was, you know, here goes aging me here, you know, 40 years ago. And so there was different meaning to pets when I grew up than there is today, okay? Um, at that point in time, they were more of a guard dog purpose. They were there to catch mice, you get the picture. But today, we, we talk really about the human-animal bond. And we talk that are, and very commonly in our language at the clinic as you know, your four-legged kid, right? They are, it's, it's part of the family, that the pet is dogs and cats. And I'm, I'm gonna lean more towards that. I know people have birds and reptiles and rodents and all that, and that's all, Part of this too, but for the main gist of this, I, I'm leaning more towards speaking towards dogs and cats, or because it's the most, it's the highest demographic, or at least what people, you know, deal with, especially with pet loss.
0: Terry, how, what, what do you think is behind that evolution from maybe a generation or two ago, how pets were considered, you know, kind of working pets as, as to now that kind of four-legged kid and now pet owners aren't pet owners, they're pet parents. What do you think is the reason behind that very pretty, pretty significant shift for how, yeah. at least here in America, people view their pets?
1: It is a significant shift and it's even taught in the vet schools. And I'm not sure I can have an exact answer for you. I'm, I'm just going from my, my clinical impression is... I think that, number one, uh, my kids are, are older before they get married, versus, you know, when, if you're 20, when I grew up, when you're 20, you know, you should be married, and, you know, that's of process, So, and family started earlier, so I think that's part of having pets, I have a younger generation that, that really view pets, uh, I have a younger generation that's very motivated towards their careers or their goals. And and even if they're married, they they hold off on having children, but they don't hold off on having a pet as a you know, as their first child you might say is breaching into that world of parenthood, and so and then we got the older generation where um, and I think that's been pretty much true throughout, but the older generation where if you're if you're a widow a widower um, or you're just alone in life, uh, the pet becomes it, it really becomes a substantial part of your life. I mean, they're yeah. the ones who greet you and they're always happy to see, they never are complaining, right? They're always happy for the most part. And they are great listeners, right? And so, but I don't think I have a specific answer on why that, that shift and that paradigm shift occurred. I'm sure other smarter people than me can fill that in for you. But I think that's, those are at least my takes on that at this point. Um,
0: yeah. Terry, again, I don't, I don't have hard data for this, but working at Winning at Home, which is, which is a mental and spiritual health organization, I, I think there are a lot of people who are understanding the the emotional and maybe even spiritual significance of having a pet in the home. I remember... know in my 20s i heard one of my mentors say once he's like there's something about having a dog in the home that changes the dynamic of it he's like kid comes home has a bad day parents come home have a bad day the dog is not judgmental the dog is faithful the dog is happy to see you there's just something that changes the emotional climate in a home when a dog is present and i I know that you know better than i do that just different personalities that different breeds have we have a we've got a five-year-old bernadoodle in our house and I tell you what, he is the most fascinating co-parent Kelly and I have ever had. are our, our, they doodles aren't big on conflict, I've heard. And so when our kids are yelling at each other, my dog will come into the kitchen and grab my hand and say, hey, it's time for you to do some parenting here. And so it's, put, put this fire out. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and again, like on my worst days, I'm like, hey, kids, stop yelling. You're scaring the dog. <laughs> so there just is something that changes the dynamic of a home when yeah. when a pet that's happy to be there and a pet that's well cared for is is present. Are, do, you, do you see that in your practice?
1: That is the beauty of veterinary medicine. And unless, I mean, in, I do have people who never have pets and they, they look at me and go, how are you in business? Okay, that, that's, that's a statement. But I also have, when you see that day after day after day, that human-animal bond, and again, we have veterinarians and psychologists studying that yet today because there's such a powerful force and a connection. But I mean, I look at, I have pets that walk through our therapy pets, right? They decrease anxiety, they decrease the depression, they increase the stability of a person's life. I have pets that monitor for seizures, blood glucose levels, right? I mean, there's sort of a, an instrument, they their family member, but they're also a tool to help monitor health, right? So then you got that beautiful side. But most of all, here it is, I love you guys as counselors, I, You know, I'll be the first to say it, but there's no one beats the counseling of a pet. Sure. They always listen. They always look at you like they're paying the greatest attention to you. Like, I don't know what you're saying, but it must be important. I also believe that pets sense our emotions, okay? I, this, there's a statement, it's a little bit of a pun, but emotions go down from the human through the leash to the pet, mm. okay? They are mirrors of our emotions. And so when I have a client who is ill from chemotherapy and they've not been able to get out of bed hardly, that dog will sit vigilantly on that bed for three days other than using the restroom and getting a drink. They won't eat and they won't eat because their owner's not eating. The pack isn't eating. I don't eat. There's an emotional connection there. How many times have you heard it that, you know what, I'm, I'm grieving, I'm crying, I'm sad, I'm disappointed. And the dog greeted me with that tail wagging, but more so when I sort of curled up in the fetal position and wanted the blanket over my head, the dog curled underneath the blanket with me and just sat there with me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there is something sort of spiritually there as well. I think it is, I always look at animals as God's little angels for us, okay? And again, not to get into theology of that, but I mean, they do serve sort of an angelic function for so many people in, right. in, in a whole kaleidoscope of different possibilities. Because each of us have our own life story. Right. And yeah. that pet somehow magically, wondrously fits into that, that right key hole and opens the door for our hearts to be more open, our minds to be more calm. It, it's just again, it's a it's a whole world to itself of science, and, and we're still discovering all the beauty of that. And again, I think that's the wonderness of God, right? He puts that yeah. in our life to say, even though you guys are really intelligent and really
0: smart, this is gonna blow you away for a thousand years, and you'll never completely understand that thought. That's great. So Terry, against, against that backdrop, when, when people consider pets are family members, when pets can, can show empathy in their own ways, when, when people have, whether it's an official emotional support animal or not, those, those pets are, are a critical part of our emotional and spiritual support network. So when we lose a pet, there, there's a hole, there's something truly devastating about that. What, what have you learned about grief and pet loss in your personal life and in your professional life?
1: Well, in the previous podcast, as, as we already discussed, um, three years ago, my wife died. And after that period of time, I, f- I felt that was pretty compassionate and empathic before her passing. Um, but after her passing, all my emotional antenna, I mean, I grew emotional antenna. My emotional intelligence grew, if I may use that type of language. And so I see things completely different. My connection points are different. But you're absolutely correct. I mean, when when, pet owners are faced with the mortality of their pet. Whether they get that diagnosis of cancer or the diabetes is no longer able to control, or the diabetes is ravaging the body and we're doing our best, but systems are failing and, and we've got to make that tough call. Grief sets in, all right? And again, much like human medicine, very similar to human medicine, I would say the same. Again, when you have a chronic illness, heart disease, kidney disease, that type of thing, cancer, as we watch the personality of the pet change, because I would say as they get more ill, their vitality, their spirit changes, of course. They mm-hmm. they usually go into hiding more, they hide more, they less likely to greet you, eat less, they lose weight, all, all the things that we will see in human medicine. But that really starts the grief process, right? Just the and that's where the five stages of grief come in, you know, or I, I agree with the latest research that it doesn't have to go in that order, right? I mean, it can go in whatever stinking order it wants to go in according right. to the individual and in our experience, but it is exceedingly painful. i Heard numerous times that the loss of a pet, again, a close pet, a pet that you really rely on and love deeply, you'll grieve deeply. But it's also equivalent to losing a child, a human child, to get sort of a context of what would, why do some people grieve so, so, their grief is so heavy and so difficult and so protracted. Uh, But think about someone, if I lost one of my children, how protracted, how long, how difficult would my grief be? right? And so I, I think that sort of comparison offers up some compassionate uh, insight into allowing other people to sort of, hey, this, this, is, this is a big deal for certain individuals, right? Um, and I also think, here it goes, there's always a story with a pet and, and complicated grief. We should probably touch on that down in this interview too. But, you know, very frequently it's, this was my daughter's pet. This was my mm-hmm. husband's pet. And they died. This is my last living connection they love this pet and I can't see that this pet leaving me I can't so they not only grieve the loss of the pet they're reliving the grief of the loss of their spouse their child mm-hmm. because of this and so I, we call it I call it complicated grief but it it adds layers to this and so but yeah, we grieve the same way and if I may our society, and I, I can only speak towards West Michigan here, because this is the society I live in, and in the arena that I function in, we like to dichotomize grief, right? We say human grief is the worst grief to experience, and I don't disagree with that. And then, then there's a dichotomization, it depends, again, your life story. Some people say, well, my divorce was the most grievous thing, that I'm still grieving my divorce because the, the loss of that future home, right? Mm-hmm. Or I um, lost my job. And now I've got to move to California. I got to move away from my family here in Hudsonville and everything that was stable to me, I'm going into an unstable environment that we grieve that. And on top of that here is we, we lose our pets and we grieve that. And we lose the fact that, you know, I'm no longer employed, I'm retired and I'm facing mortality and I grieve the loss of that. So there's different types of grief, but we as a society, I think, not only from my perspective, like to dichotomize that and say, oh, this is most important, that's, that's most important. I think we got to let, you know, here it is. I look at grief at a 10,000 foot view. Grief is grief. Each Mm. of us have to deal with it. It's unique to each of us. Each of us have our own story, our own backstory to to why we grieve and how we grieve um, and the intensity that we grieve. And we should respect each other in that perspective or try to, Um, you can't, I, I have pet owners who come in and will literally look at their spouse while we're in the room performing euthanasia and go don't cry, or it's like lock it down, or you may grieve that hard over this, this is just a pat, or this is how you may grieve and how you may not grieve. I mean, that I think is off limits. That needs to be taken off limits. And, and again, just say, listen, each of us, allow yourself to feel, you've got to feel your way through grief. It's, a, it's all feelings. It's, and again, I think I think there. this is your wheelhouse, but I think this
0: is very similar to human grief. I mean, it's dynamics. Terry, I think that when people experience a human loss, there's kind of a baked in cultural, spiritual traditions or practices or kind of a script that we follow. But when people lose a pet, you know, based on people's individual theology, there are some people who are like, well, you know, God, it's just a pet. Get over it. You'll get another one. And and I hear you saying, I think God cares about all of our grief moments. Where where have you seen God show up in in people's grief over their loss of a pet?
1: Where has God shown up in the grief? Well, that's
0: a good question. Maybe I'm
1: not going to answer it right, but I'll do my best. I have very frank discussions. I'm I'm and I, that's i going to breach this with theology, if I may. If I may start it there. Sure. Um, I've argued with pastors. I don't, I'm not going to argue with you. You're, you're way smarter than me. But I've argued with other pastors and, um, about, hey, whether their pets go to heaven or not. Sure. I believe my theology says that in the Bible, in Genesis, God created animals bef- with man. All right. So here's the order of things. Man gets to name the animals. But animals were created in perfection before sin entered the world, before the brokenness of this world occurred, which means that God put incredible value on animals, And he put value, again, I'm going to use this as a stretch, but I suspect that Adam and Eve really enjoyed and appreciated the animals. So there's a human-animal bond, if I may use the word human, when they're in perfection, but you get the idea, right? That there was this perfection there. And it was all designed to flow and function together. And you look at the end of the Bible in Revelation, God talks a lot about horses, different color horses, of course, and many people think it's metaphorical. But Christ Jesus rides in on a white horse as, again, a... Reconstitution is a reconnection saying I am restoring the creation that was broken. This is what the new creation looks like and as I restore it. And and so I really believe the Bible begins with the animals ends with the animals and it's not all about animals, of course, but I think they're mentioned for specific reason. I don't think it's all metaphorical. Okay, yeah, yeah. and so when we go through pet grief, or I uh, communicating with a pet owner in my practice, I, I always tell them, I said, whether you believe in God or not, that's your decision. But I believe there is a heaven. And I believe that it's the same heaven where our pets go. I believe that yeah. all the things, because we worship an incredible God who we don't, you know, I don't know the foreplan for heaven. Okay. I don't know how that right. all functions. I mean, I don't. Right. I mean, I know a lot of people who, who are saying, well, this will be there. That won't be there. This I don't believe we know who's going to be there, what's going to be there. You know, I do believe there'll be some drums up there. You know, there'll be trees because again, this is, this is, I believe God brings back to us in the restoration process, everything that we love and endear in this world. And I do believe again, with the philosophy that if God put those little earth angels, those pets in our life to come alongside of us during our valleys, our anxious moments, that in any of the connections, five years or 20, 15 years, that I believe that that pet will be on the other side. I really yeah. do. And, yeah. and I, I envisioned that the idea that I've got a dog who loves to play ball and guess what? That, that Boston Terrier is gonna greet me with a tennis ball in his mouth and be like, "All oh, his teeth worn down. Like I've been waiting for you forever, right? You know, right, and, right." And, but, but what that does though is when I communicate that with people, it gives them hope just no different than you and I need hope in the process of grief and in the face of death. And and at least maybe it points them to the on-ramp of healing, points them to the on-ramp of you will find joy again. You know, we'll get through this, but I'm at least pointing you and I'm gonna give you a toehold, a foothold, something small, but, and, and I do think that the healing process starts with that, even though we're in the moment of the euthanasia itself. Now, again, I don't know, and, and some of the beauty that comes out of that is it usually, um, people cry, but there's right. tears of both sadness, but also of hope, because I do believe right. there's two types of tears. Right, I, I believe it. Um, it gives them the possibility to take a next breath and a next step. Okay, again, yeah. it's it's really that fundamental. So yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. I, I I don't think it did. Sorry.
0: No, that that was that was a beautiful and a very appropriate response. And even as you were talking, Terry, I called to mind a, a passage of scripture where the prophet Nathan is confronting David over a mis an act of grievous misconduct that he has had with one of his best friend's wives. And he tells a parable of a family, a, a family that was was poor, they had very little li, limited means. And they had one lamb as a family pet. And there was a neighboring wealthy man who had guests who came and visit. And rather than slaughtering one of his 200 sheep, he stole their sheep and slaughtered it and gave it to his guests. And, and it said that when David heard that story, he was absolutely outraged. And I thought that that's, that might be one of the only uh, or, or a few examples in the scriptures that let us know that, that there, for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, has been an understanding that that pets do matter to families, and and that that bond was mattered to God as well, so much so that He used it as an example to confront David on some some things that he was doing that were pretty wrong. So I think that that's that's an example that I had forgotten about that I think bears to mind in this conversation. Yeah,
1: that's a great point. Absolutely.
0: Terry, for people who haven't been through the process before, there's some people who have experienced the heartache of losing a pet. There are other people who haven't done it before. And you talked about the euthanasia process with a family. If If there's a family with young kids and they have a pet who is sick or they have a pet who is entering final stages of life, can you, can you walk people through what that last day process looks like? Maybe just to again, it doesn't take the sting out of the wound, but it takes some of the anxiety and the uncertainty out of out of the process. Can you can you walk us through what what exactly happens so that if somebody's getting ready to let a pet know, they they at least know how the process works?
1: Yeah. So the conversation in my world is I appreciate that question. The conversation usually starts days or weeks before. Okay. Um, I always tell. pet owner that i'm the the mouthpiece of the pet means i don't i can't interpret what their thoughts or their feelings are but i can interpret their health their well-being their quality of life and if the quality of life is is getting to a place where i with my medicine the owner with their tlc in their care we we're not going to change the trajectory of this and it's only going to get worse i will breach pardon me i'll breach that question with the owner and on that question i'll make the statement is that we need to start having a quality of life discussion okay that's that's usually where the five stages of grief really kick in because the first one that i face is denial okay and i breach that sometimes weeks before like i don't know whether we have weeks or we have months uh, only god knows that but we're at this place, but when you start thinking about it and you start processing. And here it is. I just need to introduce the idea because sometimes denial takes weeks to break through. Sometimes it takes days, sometimes it's minutes, but most of the time there's a process breaking through that. I didn't hear anything Terry just said, blah, blah, right, blah, right. blah, blah. Right. And then we re-engage it. And, but the, so let's say that you're coming in tomorrow morning all right, and the frequently we'll get that conversation like, "Hey, when you come in, this is what it's going to look like. We will enter an exam room. We will have a blanket out for you. We have a little care basket that staff has set up with water in it, with some facial wipes, with Kleenex in it. That type of process. Um, we do our best at keeping noise levels down. We light a candle up front, allowing other people who come in to go. Hey, we're going into a sort of a sacred space here. Please be respectful. Yeah. Don't joke. Right. Don't laugh. Just." keep things toned down. Then I proceed to share with them. We, the staff will establish a catheter and I mean, it's too much detail, but, and then while they're establishing the catheter and the patient, I will discuss it. This is what's going to take place. We When your pet comes back, when Fluffy comes back, I'll be injecting first a sedative. And of course, I I always say, I will let you know every stage as I go. All right. So there's that that clear communication. So not just, it's done. So we walk with that client we stay in the same lily pad the best we can throughout that entire process. But we start with the sedative, we explain what that's going to do, how it's going to function, what they're going to experience through their, their perceptions of this. Right. And then shortly thereafter, because it's a short acting sedative, we use the final injection, which is a euthanasia solution, which stops the heart. Okay. And then I listen to the pet and I tell the owner that we're gone. We're, we're okay, gone. okay then um the owner has the ability at least our practice to stay as little or as long as they want in that room and i always say to them, this is a sacred space and what do i mean by sacred because this is where heaven meets earth and earth meets heaven because we have a transition going on again i believe in this all right sure this this breath of god that was in this pet now goes back to god okay yeah and so um we, we honor that space that way. And I use that language. And I also feel it's sacred because I am allowed into the most intimate, all the barriers are broken down at that place.
0: Okay. I mean, yeah.
1: Yeah. now I'm in the most intimate of intimate of yourself, of that person and in that family. And I, I consider it an honor to, to, to be in that space. And I do, I work my most, I work the best I can to protect them in that space. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's so difficult because again, you see all the facets of grief here where I have men who will be like, mm, just a dog, I'm tough. And, and then I will say, it's all right for you to cry. Cause again, in our culture, in my age group, almost, we have to have permission to cry. And I'll yeah, say, yeah. I'm going to cry here. This is a big loss. It's a big deal. This pet raised children with you. Yeah. This pet helped you recover from your knee surgery you know, and you're still recovering. And this, that is, you right. get the picture, we go over some of the dynamics and the memories of the pet and I will have grown men fall to their knees. Sure. And, and, and rightly so. And it's so healthy it is, but it, it is hugely painful to see because it's like, just, you got, you got to let that grief out, man. you got to let it, you got to feel it, live in it. This is a safe place. I allow you to do it here. Um, it's painful, but it's beautiful at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then, we give them a little doorbell, basically they hit a doorbell and I have a technician dedicated to them. So if they're like, hey, we wanna be here for 10 minutes or we're here for 30, that technician does nothing other than wait for that doorbell, okay? Gotcha. So that, okay. you know, yeah. you know that immediately your pet is not sitting there waiting there for someone to show up because they're otherwise too busy. Right, right. But I think you gotta really treat that in a, in a very delicate and honoring manner. And here's the last thing I think of that, I have the privilege, again, here goes with my age, I'm working on my second cycle and my beginning my third cycle of pets, okay? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, most of these I have kids I've seen as kittens or puppies. I witness them come in and take treats and the tail wagging. And, you know, I, I get to witness all the joy they get to bring for that 10 or 15 years. But I'm also at that same place at the end of their life at the closure of their life, I'm still able to be with a family. I know a lot of doctors and staff don't like the euthanasia part. I don't either. By the same token as though, I do think euthanasia is a gift. It's a yeah. gift that we give the pet, and it's a gift that we give ourselves. Because some of these sure. kids, a lot of people are like, I want my pet to die in bed. I don't want them to fall asleep. Wait, I wake up, and they they fell, died in their sleep. That occurs in less than 1%. Okay.
0: Really? Yeah, it's,
1: it's not a common effect. Most of them who die in their bed are ones we weren't expecting to die in their bed. How's that? Okay, it's okay. like, so, and or some do, but it's a small percentage. Most of them, it, pets are resilient. They want to live. They want to please you. Sure. They want to care right. for you. They've got a right. family, they've got children. And, and so their internal drive is incredible. By the same token, is we're up against this tension of weakness and trying to keep, but, but I see it as a teeter-totter where you got to balance. You got the, the owner's quality of life and the pet's quality of life. I have owners who will do everything for that pet to the very, very last, last minute. Okay. And I think that's too much of an emotional drain on them to be truthful. It's just my perspective. I honor sure. them, but by the same token is I've got other people who are like, well, it's sort of making me it's, you know, that type of thing, but it's gotta be a balance between again, you as a pet owner and the quality of life of the pet and have a healthy discussion of where do we feel this has now become off center or our pet is failing in personality and in health, right? Where right. um, we don't want to have that memory where, you know, they haven't eaten in five days and they, right, right. you haven't got up in five days and there's still seasoning. And we don't want those memories burned into your hard drive as the sure. last memories
0: of that beautiful pet. Cause that's just an added layer of trauma that doesn't, doesn't have to, doesn't have to exist. Yeah, absolutely. But there's here, tremendous here. guilt sure.
1: here as we we'll even have people who grieve over that decision-making. Yeah. Right. Where you know, again, I going back into that room, into that space, especially if we've, as an owner and a veterinarian, we've had those conversations, and I will say to them, the decision today is correct. I validate your decision today. This is the best decision today, and they need to hear that because some people it will live rent free in their head for years that they're the ones who took the life of their pet right because they are the ones who had to make that decision i can't make i can only advocate they are the ones who have to ultimately make that decision and they grieve over that decision sure i mean we talk about again grieving in different ways they grieve over that decision no different than a human go do we do we remove do we unplug do we keep the plug in right i mean that's that's where we're at mentally emotionally um it's exceedingly difficult
0: yeah Terry, in your experience, what what level of what what age child should should be in the room when that happens? I, I know different people have different decisions, yeah. and I know there's not a right answer, but in your experience, is there is there a range that you would recommend?
1: Yeah. So then again, this is my personal opinion only. You're just, you're just hearing one doctor's opinion, but I think that a uh, majority of doctors would be get behind me on this. I believe children under 10 should not be present in a euthanasia. Okay. Um, I personally, again, what I've witnessed with that, and again, I know each parent's different on this. This is just a general statement, but I believe that we could actually traumatize our children through that. Okay. I look at the perspective of, here it goes, um, I'll be honest here. I mean, since up to probably 25 or 30, I was fearful of death. I had no understanding of death, even though I witnessed it, but you know, it's, it's think of it as a child. We don't understand death, right? You're here. You're not here. Um, you're breathing. You're not breathing. Um, in this situation, I see more of this like kids sort of compartmentalizing that again, they're bringing it back, they're just locking it down because they do not know how to interpret that hey my fluffy was just walking around the exam room interacting with me gave me a few kisses on the cheek. Now we're sleeping, and we were breathing and we looking like we're sleeping and my parents are saying oh we're sleeping and then we stop breathing and now we're dead. They're right, deceased. So I think that that's it's a it's too much for a child under 10. There's that. And again, if you're a child psychologist or you people, I mean, you, I would love to hear your comments on that, but I think it's too early. And the other, the other thing I would look at is this, I think there's also, is it in the family? I have families, larger families where there's individuals who cannot be in the room They're situationally aware, emotionally aware nothing. I I just, I can't handle that. I don't want to be there. The rest of the family can be, but I'm going to sit in the car and then you guys can fill me in on how things went, but I cannot visibly see it. And again, in this practice, this doctor's mentality is I completely respect all of that. You want to be present, you don't want to be present. I honor it all. I also would look at it this way from those parents like, oh, my child has to touch the deceased pet. Um, There are lots of adults and I'm not talking like 20 year olds, 30 year olds. I'm talking 50, 60, 70 year olds who cannot be in that room to see that. Because in their own language, and again, I would like to think 50 cycles around the sun or 70 cycles around the sun, you've got a pretty good idea of reflection of what you can and cannot handle. They're like going, we cannot handle seeing that transition from life to death or that happened before our eyes. And again, I respect that. But I think I would just say no from 10 and below prudence and judiciousness between 10 and 15 because you know your kids and they are at that phase where I think that, you could have a healthy discussion. Um, but yeah, I, I I like that question, but it, it's, and again, I know there'll be doctors who disagree with me on that, but I I, I would not have the jealousy of children at that age present watching that. Okay.
0: Okay. Terry, those are great insights. Really appreciate you walking us through the process, giving people just, just hope and, and letting them know that God is present and God does care about our family dynamics and, and our pets and and our understanding of, of death and grief and loss and hope for resurrection; those are yeah. those are all themes that that I think we, we need in every dimension of life. And and this is a, a great doorway to get into those conversations. any yeah. any closing thoughts or words of yeah. encouragement for family or? I'll, yeah, one
1: please, one please. Number number one is um, I'm gonna again i use a shameless plug. Here it goes again, um, companion animal loss grief support group. It is uh, through an organization called Heaven at Home. It's in Grand Rapids. They offer both, they have a a pastor slash counselor who does individual and group therapies for individuals who are really struggling with the loss of their pet. It's a grief support group for pet owners. Uh, Dr. Lori Brush is a colleague of mine. She does fabulous work. She works in the hospice arena of our world. But of course, as we all understand, you know, there's the finality of death, um, but grief, has its own life. It, it lives on. And so, and, and so just be aware that what you feel and what you experience, don't let anyone judge you, tell you how you should grieve, how long you should grieve, intensity you should grieve. You do you and you do you, you, the best that you can through that. Understand that um, there's a lot of support for you. And I'm praying there'll be more compassion and understanding in this arena for those individuals who really,
0: this is a, this is a very, very heavy lift. Great. Terry, thank you so much for being a part. And can you just give people uh, the, the name of your practice and the location or website if they want to learn more, if they're local here in West Michigan and would would love to get, get care from, from your team?
1: I appreciate that. Have great, I have a great team, an awesome team. Um, Jelsma, as in my last name, because that's how creative we are. Veterinary Clinic in Hudsonville. So great. We have a website, Facebook, all that. But I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. Terry, thanks so much for your time. Have a great day. You too. Bye now.
0: Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.